0: Hello and welcome to ASCII's podcast show, Can We Talk? Conversations in Early Childhood Education. In today's episode, a
1: conversation with a children's mental health support facilitator. You will hear Yvette Sorial from ASCII and Natalie Visato, a children's mental health support facilitator, social worker and professional learning consultant from ASCII, talk about children's mental health and social emotional well-being. We hope you enjoy listening.
0: Welcome to Can We Talk? Conversations in Early Childhood Education. This is a question and answer podcast with experts in their field about topics that are important to educators and parents of young children. I'm Yvette Soriel, an early childhood educator, professional learning consultant, and early on community support facilitator with Affiliated Services for Children and Youth in Hamilton, Ontario. Today, I'm talking with Natalie Basado a registered social worker and early childhood educator working as a consultant with ASCII. She has worked in the area of mental health and social-emotional well-being for close to 20 years. Natalie has supported families, children, youth, educators, and the community, first in Halton and more recently in Hamilton, her hometown. Her approach is rooted in a family-centered, strength-based, trauma-informed, and self-regulation framework. Hi, Natalie.
1: Hi, Yvette. Thanks for having me. Nice
0: to have you here. Thanks. Can you describe a little of your role for the educators?
1: Sure. So my role at ASCII is about three years old now. The educators in Hamilton were looking for some support for children pretty much two to maybe school age at some times wanting to understand the children's uh, social, emotional well-being, behaviors, how to support families. So my role has evolved over time. And as I continue to evolve with the role and we've had to pivot through COVID, we've been doing a lot more virtual stuff, webinars and this podcast. So that's a little bit about my role.
0: There is a stigma that somewhat about the term children's mental health. Would you comment on that?
1: Sure. I think The stigma is rooted in a lot of historical ways of viewing mental health and viewing somebody as well, capable, all those things, because society does put a lot of pressure on us to function in a certain way, being what mental health really means. And we are really good as a society in recognizing and supporting people with physical health. So if you're someone that's living with some type of diagnosable, say cancer or things like that, there we have this understanding that that should be treated. But mental health is also another aspect of that, that our well-being also helps the body and mind stay connected. So children's mental health is oftentimes not seen as something that we need to worry about. Children shouldn't have mental health. We should be just happy-go-lucky. But really, children do live with many mental health concerns. And we want to be responsive as the caregivers and adults with children as well as understanding that mental health starts in infancy. We know we can lay the foundations for children to grow and thrive by providing and responding to not only their physical needs, but also their mental health needs. So, when I think about my role as a children's mental health super facilitator, part of my role is to help understand what mental health is, what we can do as a society and as caregivers to be there for children, especially during, I think, this time of COVID-19 and pandemic. We've talked about mental health more than ever, as well as the pandemic has caused a lot of pain and loss. It's also shone the light on why we need to come together as a community to help children thrive around their mental well-being, as well as their physical man- mental well-being. Can you describe a little bit about uh, the approaches you use? Sure. So I use a family-centered practice or approach is something that informs a lot of the ways I support educators or families, depending on what the needs are and what family-centered practice means. You could also call it child-centered practice. Some people in more of a therapeutic role call it client-centered practice. So what that means is that we believe that the person in the circumstance of a family knows their child best. They know their children best as a consultant going into those conversations that are supportive for families, I'm coming in with an understanding that, yes, I have some knowledge that I want to help them with. But part of my role is to bring out their expertise because they know their children best. When I think about my role in supporting educators it is also when I enter, say, their space of childcare, or in this virtual realm that we are in now, that they do know their uh, situation best, that I'm there to help guide, have a conversation with them, not coming in as the expert, not a prescriptive approach, like where I'm saying this is how you should go about doing something. It's where I offer some things to consider, listening to their own strengths, which leads into my strength-based perspective. I believe everybody comes with gifts and strengths. And part of my role, let's say, how I approach things is, Finding those moments where I'm hearing strength, whether it's resiliency, overcoming things, just even coming and having conversation about things that you're struggling with is a strength. So it's helping uncover those and which leads into narrative practice, which is about stories that we all have stories that we have in our lives from childhood that shape who we are and how we approach things, how we believe things. So as a listener, as a consultant, I will take the time to really listen and I'm interested in stories and I feel very privileged when someone comes and shares something that's very vulnerable at times. So my hope is that as I'm supporting an educator, a family in having these kind of more vulnerable conversations that we're able to uncover your own unique gifts and then offer some ways to overcome some things that you might be struggling with is just an example.
0: Sounds like it can be a long process
1: for families. It can. I think families are, especially now, are coping with many stressors. So I weigh all that and think about the decisions that we make for our children. And when we are faced with adversity, and I think the pandemic is something we all can share We've all experienced it differently, but it hasn't been easy through this last year and a half for many reasons. So making sure that when we are reaching out and supporting one another, that we're all coming together with less judgment, because that's something we always have. And we have our own experiences and stories and biases that come into play and how we view and see things. But when we can stop and pause and support and listen to one another, we can come out with a better way of working through some of those tough times.
0: What are some of the common concerns that come up?
1: With families, I think a good example I could give is thinking about some common things that I hear from educators. There's many different stories, right? But one that comes to mind is When a family, whether you're working in an early on uh, program where families are with you with their child, or if you're in a child care center and a parent is dropping off the child or picking up, we may sort of start to see the signs of distress from the parent or the caregiver. And the caregiver could be more withdrawn, not as engaged or seems low energy, those things that we might notice. I've heard educators share with me concerns they might have, or you have a parent that is a bit more expressive, um, expressing frustration. You can see it, you can see how they're interacting with their child. So an example would be, say a parent is coming in to pick up their preschooler, and you notice that the preschooler is not really responding to the parent's direction. The preschooler running around, not really leaving, or if it's in a Another setting, it just not really being able to calmly approach things and you see the frustration on the parent. So depending on your comfort level with that parent or caregiver as an educator, oftentimes educators come to me not knowing where to start because they don't want the parent to feel bad about the situation or feel judged our hope is always to be helpful. And so sometimes when I'm working with educators is helping them how to have those tough conversations in the beginning, offering help and support. Over this last year, that's come a lot up in conversations because of the additional stress that families are going through. So that's a common scenario that we hear. Or if it's a, a family that has a new baby, And coping, I think back to this situation we're in now, the isolation that many families are feeling. We're not able to go out as we were before. Slowly we are moving back into that. But that's also knowing how do I have those conversations with the family so that they feel supported and not feel that I'm, judging them or coming on too strong, those kinds of things. And again, back to your first question, mental health and the stigma that goes with that. We have to recognize that families might feel that if we view them as having some mental health needs, could they feel less than as a parent, not as capable as another parent, because we, families feel quite judged definitely. So where would you
0: suggest an educator
1: begin? I think that I always think about being open and honest and transparent even mentioning that it's tough being a parent and and validating that where if a parent has said, I'm feeling really frustrated, I can't do this. One of the things that we can do is support and validate the parent by recognizing that, yeah, I can see that you're really frustrated now because being a parent is really hard. And I might just start with that. And right there, I'm validating. I'm not trying to fix the situation. I'm just going to be with the parent waiting for a response. Some parents, We'll be ready to say, yes, it is frustrating. and I could use some help. They might give you that right away. Some parents may not know how to respond to that. We don't know the backstory of what could be causing a parent to be frustrated if we don't know them. So one of the things I would say is starting off with that, acknowledging that, wow, I can see that right now. This is a really busy time for you. How can I help you? What do you need from me? What could be helpful? And a parent will feel, okay, this person's wanting to help me. And just kind of working with the parent in that place. And I want to go back to something you said earlier, that It takes time. It may not happen the first conversation. Some parents might be ready to jump on board and say, yes, can you please help me? Some might need a couple of those conversations or just checking in. Just being there, being present, that's a big piece of it as educators, because we want to help. At the end of the day, that's that's why we went into this profession. We want to make sure that we understand that for a family, this might be something that they're not sure where to begin themselves. So by listening, be attentive, offering support, they're more likely to have that conversation with us if the first time doesn't go the way that you had hoped it would.
0: So... When do you suggest to a family that a f- referral
1: might be necessary? We know a lot of children who are, say, returning to school, or maybe there's been a break in care. Many circumstances, we may need to realize it's going to take a little bit of time for children to adjust to a childcare setting or coming to visit an early on setting, because again, we're slowly going back into these spaces. So if we start to see that, okay, we have met this child a few times, or we've seen this child in our program a few times, and there's some things that we're wondering about, concerns about their developmental needs, we want to approach that with the family, but in a way that's going to set the, the stage in a sense where they feel that they are going to have a bit of privacy, we want to plan for that, we don't want to do this when there's pickup or the child's in arms, if possible, trying to have those conversations with the family in a way that we know that it could go really smoothly. The family might recognize they have some concerns and are just relieved somebody came and brought that to their attention. On the other hand, you might see, nope, nope, everything's fine. But what you can offer is we as a community organization, I think this should happen in the tours that you begin when your families first enter your programs, is talking about the resources within the community that we use regularly to support children's needs all children's needs. So I think that we wait sometimes a little too long because we may not have said that in the tour, but we want to make sure in our our packages we give families, information we give families, that we list the organizations that we access regularly so that we can meet the needs of all the children in our program. And then when we want to understand a little bit more, if we have a child that maybe isn't speaking at the age that we typically see this, We want to make sure that we're having the family understand, for example, that early words is available in Hamilton. We as educators would like a little bit more information of how to support the child in their learning around speech. Can we ask us to support? That kind of stuff can really be helpful. And if a family says no, and they're not ready to, we have to accept that. I think we would still provide support and care for the child regardless. And luckily, we do have resources available to us, evidence-based, you know, Hamilton has a slew of resources that if I'm an educator, I have a family that's not really worried or concerned like I am about their child's speech, I can at my fingertips maybe look at some resources, not really give any identifying information about the child, but be able to talk to someone, and say, you know, I want to know how I can support a child's language development, their toddlers, this is kind of where they're at. The family's not sure what they want. How can I go about to do this? You're going to get some really great ways of supporting children. And realize you're probably doing a lot of those things already yourself in your practice.
0: You mentioned in Hamilton, early words would be one of those referral services that you could have in your toolbox for families if the need arises. What other organizations are available for referrals in terms of uh, children's mental health?
1: Family doctors are a great resource. That's always your first step, typically for families to go to their family doctor. So there might be some things that a doctor might offer by going in and say, I'm wondering about this. Can I Access the support. If that's unavailable, we do have Contact Hamilton. That's a number that, if you look it up, it comes up right away. And that is really a great resource because it gives you the age group that you might be wondering or concerned about where to go, who to go to. And Contact Hamilton has somebody that you can speak to. If a parent is unsure and needs some support, the educator alongside with the parent could have that phone call together to say, I'm wondering about my three-year-old's behavior. This is what I've noticed. This is what I'm concerned about. And that person on the other line, that Contact Hamilton person will be able to source out what's the best route to go and where to go. And in Hamilton, we have Ron Joyce, which is a great children's hospital that does a lot of supports um, depending on the need. Uh, for older children, there's Linwood Hall, there's also McMaster has some great resources. They're all a little different in what they'll provide depending on what the needs are, but contact Hamilton or your family doctor would be the first step to go.
0: So contact Hamilton is a phone in line
1: Yes. I believe they do have access to email. I personally think phone call is what they're going to follow up with you anyway, because they're going to want to gather more information of what that need is for that family. And they're also in child care centers, community living Hamilton, which is integration supports. They have resource consultants that also can help guide a family or yourself, if you're an educator on what would be the best way to approach a a concern that you might have or if a family comes to you with concerns a resource consultant is also a really good support for our community and they look at developmental needs and they'll use observation tools and all those kinds of things to help again get that family the connection they need so that when they're ready to go to school there's a bit of a support plan in place if that's the pathway the family ends up needing.
0: And you offer some support to families beyond the childcare centers through the early on virtual calendar, ask the Children's Mental Health Support Facilitator. Can you talk a little bit about what that is?
1: So that's something right now we are virtual families can come on with the early years facilitator and ask some questions that they might have around their children's mental health and well being. Through that dialogue and conversation, I will make recommendations of the best supports available based on what they're looking for. So if a family comes on and they're asking about developmental concerns, the early years facilitator myself will be able to direct them to, again, the family doctor, or they can call early words themselves if that's the pathway that makes the most sense. If it's mental health, depending on what it is, some of the examples I can give you over the last year is parents are feeling overwhelmed themselves or caregivers. So oftentimes we will explore, do they have a mental health supports for themselves through their employer? And if they don't, then we can take a look at what else is available in the community. And when we do that, we know that families need mental health support the parents, the caregivers, so that they can better attend to their child's needs. So I I like to be able to have those conversations with parents and caregivers too, because we, we know that it's a holistic approach. It's everybody in the family that needs to feel well together. So for a family, having that is helpful. What we'll do after we meet is the early years facilitator will send along through an email to the family the resources and recommendations we made so that they have them. That's just one example. One of the other things we can offer is if the Wednesday evenings doesn't work for a family or they want something a little bit more in person, they don't want to be on like say a Zoom with some other families. I arrange with the early years facilitator a maybe one hour Zoom call where we spend some time together talking a little bit more about that.
0: So how would they access that?
1: Through the early on calendar, the virtual calendar, which is available through the City of Hamilton website, as well as any of the early ons within Hamilton, we'll make those recommendations too. It sounds like a wonderful
0: service for families. It's a, definitely it's a multi-pronged entry approach, isn't it? So depending on how comfortable a family is or how comfortable the educator is embarking on that in kind of a conversation with families, they have you as a resource through ASCII or they could suggest the family go to their doctor or perhaps go through a virtual world through the early on calendar.
1: Mm-hmm. Very multi-pronged, isn't it? I think that's helpful. It's making sure that we offer, it's almost like a menu of service because not every family needs the exact same thing. So that's a really important piece about what I've noticed about the services in Hamilton, that we encourage families to take a look at what their needs and offer what we can, not like a one size fits all model, or this is the way to go. It's making sure that we are being responsive in a way that will hopefully meet each individual family's needs.
0: I'm going to divert a little bit from looking at the family and look at the educator. Having families open up about their anxieties and frustrations can build a very close relationship between the parent and the early childhood educator. How do you suggest educators maintain professional boundaries when helping families? Mm.
1: So that's something that we are mindful of. One of the wonderful things about us as educators especially in childcare in the early years or in an early on setting is we do develop very nurturing, caring relationships with our families. There's a personable piece to that. We're still professionals because we've gone to school or we've done training or we've you know done some things to have the knowledge that we have to share about things that families might wonder about in the early years. So when a family is struggling and we have developed a personal relationship or we're in those intimate settings, part about being an educator or working in the early years is you're caring for children. And these are families children's, which are the most important thing to them. So it's going to automatically set a place of intimacy or personal relationship, for example, because we are in this kind of ongoing caring relationship with families. When it gets a little bit unclear at times for families is when we kind of almost become we're friendly and caring but we almost become more like friends and we have to be careful when a family is struggling or they are stressed about things that we still maintain a bit of that professional boundary because if we've crossed that boundary say that a family comes in they're struggling with a child's eating or sleeping and we start talking about our own experiences as a parent saying oh I went through that too and they'll be fine you know you just have to do this and this and this and they'll be fine because when I did it I didn't want to listen to anyone doing this because I figured out my own and that can be helpful for sure I don't want to say it's not helpful but if it's something more concerning that a family needs help with we don't want them then to not access, say, a public health nurse for nutrition concerns or mental health supports, because they might overrelate to our own experiences. They might think, oh, well, you know, I'll use myself as an example. And Natalie seems okay, so does her family. But they don't really know my whole story either. There might be some things within my own family that I've had to overcome that maybe I didn't share with them. So again, we just want to be careful that we are offering that kind caring rapport with families but not crossing a boundary where we are disclosing too much information and when you think about they use the word in social work oftentimes as disclosure so if I'm working with a family and say that they are struggling with loss and grief in my own life I've experienced loss and grief so I'm working with this family they've lost a loved one I'm obviously going to identify with that and be empathetic towards them. It's not like I'm not going to have those feelings, but what I want to be mindful is if I decide to share my own personal loss with them, because I want to be helpful to them. I'm actually thinking about that at the time. If I share with them that I lost my own parent at a younger age, this could really help them have a growth mindset or see something a little differently or access a support that might be helpful to them, whatever my thought process is. But what you want to be careful of is a parent then starts to view you as maybe the therapist. I don't need to go get a grief therapist, let's say, because I've spoken to Natalie and she went through this and she's okay. That's one thing that could happen. Another thing could happen is if the family starts to console me and worries about me, let's just say I start to share something and then they start to turn around and say, oh my gosh, are you okay? Because parents are empathetic and caring too. We just want to make sure that we're maintaining that professional boundary because we're there for them.
0: That makes sense
1: good. Yeah, it's, it's not clear. Because when you have those moments where you feel that maybe this conversation crossed a bit of a boundary, it's okay to say to the family, instead of avoiding that and hoping it maybe goes away, I don't know, like, you know, that could happen. That's natural response. It's maybe coming up to a family saying, you know, I shared something with you. I was wanting to be helpful with you. And you can say that to a family, "I, I was really wanting to help you with my own story. But I really do feel you might need some extra support around this. Here's a good resource I looked up for you based on what you shared with me that I really think you should access. I can help you access that resource. That to me is a wonderful way to support a family. But that's when, when you wonder if you've kind of crossed that little bit of a boundary, it's okay to have those reflective questions and explain to the family why you shared your story in the first place, because you wanted to be helpful. But then when it became a little bit confusing for the family, like they were thinking they didn't really need the help or whatever it is, you can have that honest conversation with them.
0: Yeah, and it can be stressful. Stressful for the parent, but stressful for the educator too. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about our own stress levels, as educators, would you offer some suggestions about how to balance our own self-care while supporting families in our program?
1: So self-care, more than ever this year, has come up in conversation, and I've been fortunate to offer some well-being, mental health, um, Zooms, webinars, whatever it is that was sort of asked from the community. And I think about our own mental health and well-being is that Knowing when you're having those difficult conversations or you're wearing PPE, the face mask, shield all day, or we're pivoting constantly or adapting constantly to this ever-changing pandemic, let's just say, we are burning a lot of energy. And stress is something that everyone will experience. But when we look at negative stress, which means that even if we've had a conversation with a family that was a tough one, Even though the family is going to get the help they need, it can be negative for us because it was a difficult conversation that led up to that. So at the end of the day, when we've had those days that are a little bit harder than other days, that we're going home and figuring out what it is that we need for our own mental health and well-being to refuel ourselves. Because I think we are all, I know I'm this, this is probably my worst habit. I keep going and going and going and going. I don't stop to take a moment to take a big breath. Deep breath in, slow breath out, pause, reflect, acknowledge that it was something that may have been tough and that my energy is going to be low. We talk about getting good sleep when we can, as much as we can really. Being out in nature has been more important than ever or whatever it is that works for you. So we can always talk about emptying our cup, like thinking about a cup and filling it up. We want to fill our cup up. And it's going to be easier sometimes than others, but if we make a conscious effort to do that, then we'll be more able to handle those Challenges that we face daily or unexpected things that come up within our lives. And positive stress is also a good one, as well, to recognize that when we have positive stress, it'll energize us, but it's still kind of depleting us a little bit. So, for example, me preparing for this podcast today was a bit of that positive stress. You know, I I love talking about this stuff. I'm hoping it's helpful for people that are listening, but it's also going to be after I'm done this conversation with Yvette today, I'm going to take a minute. To catch my breath before I dive into the next thing I have to dive into. Because if I keep going and going and going, it's going to deplete me and I'm not going to be able to be more available for myself, but also for my family and anyone else that needs me.
0: Thanks, Natalie. I've been talking with Natalie Basado, an early childhood educator and children's mental health support facilitator in Hamilton. Thank you for listening.